your heart beats approximately 100,000 times a day, thanks to an electrical conduction system that transfers electricity to myocytes, allowing them to contract to pump blood throughout the body. This system must be highly regulated in order to ensure synchronized contraction of the heart. Like any electrical conduction system, the one in our heart can be disrupted, causing abnormal heart rhythms. When extra electrical pathways exist, the signal can become unregulated and causes supraventricular tachycardia, requiring medical management. Today, our patient has a supraventricular tachycardia, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, Too Fast, Too Furious, An Approach to Superventricular Tachycardias, or SVT. This episode is going to focus specifically on AVRTs and AVNRTs. Time for a minute physiology. The contraction of our heart is regulated by an electrical current or impulse. The electrical impulse starts in the sinoatrial or SA node often called the body's natural pacemaker, and spreads throughout both atria, causing them to contract and squeeze blood into the ventricles. The electrical impulse then travels down to the atrial ventricular, or AV node, into the bundle of His, which splits into two branches, allowing the electrical signal to spread evenly to both ventricles at the same time. This electrical activation causes the ventricles to contract, ejecting blood to the lungs and around the body. This electrical sequence is what causes your heart to beat effectively in synchrony. Any disruption in the usual electrical pathways in your heart can cause an abnormal heart rhythm, called an arrhythmia. Superventricular arrhythmias are abnormal heart rhythms involving re-entry circuits that can lead to tachycardias, where your heart rate exceeds 100 beats per minute. Superventricular tachycardias include both atrioventricular re-entry tachycardias, also known as AVRTs, and AV nodal re-entry tachycardias, called AVNRTs. To understand how these arrhythmias occur, we need to have a better understanding of the electrical physiology of the heart. Both AVRT and AVNRT require a re-entry pathway connecting the atria to the ventricles. In AVRT, an accessory pathway allows for the direct conduction of electrical signal from the atria to the ventricles, bypassing the AV node. These bypass tracks are abnormal conduction pathways formed during cardiac development, which can conduct impulses either anterograde, towards the ventricle, or retrograde, away from the ventricle, or in both directions. If a premature beat occurs at the SA node, the electrical impulse will travel down to the AV conduction system as usual, and then travel through the accessory pathway connecting back to the AV node. This ultimately creates a re-entry circuit that can propagate the signal and lead to a tachycardia. In comparison to AVRT, which involves an anatomical re-entry circuit, AVNRT involves a functional re-entry circuit built into the AV node. At baseline, the AV node has two pathways, a slowly conducting pathway with a short refractory period and a fast conducting pathway with a long refractory period. During normal sinus rhythm, electrical impulses travel down both pathways simultaneously. The impulse transmitted down the fast pathway is transmitted to the bundle of His, but also enters the distal end of the slow pathway, 
terminating the signal until the next impulse. However, if a premature atrial contraction arrives while the fast pathway is still refractory, the electrical impulse will be directed solely down the slow pathway. By the time the premature impulse reaches the end of the slow pathway, the fast pathway is no longer refractory and the impulse is permitted to move retrograde up the fast pathway. This creates a re-entry circuit whereby the impulse propagates continuously, cycling around the two pathways, anterogradely activating the bundle of Hiss, and retrogradely the atria, ultimately leading to a rapid heart rate, or tachycardia. Now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach to SVT. People who experience SVT may feel dizzy, lightheaded, short of breath, have chest tightness, or describe palpitations, while others can be completely asymptomatic. SVTs can last from seconds to more prolonged periods of time. Most of the time, SVTs happen without any obvious reason. However, they can be precipitated by smoking, certain medications, and drugs including caffeine, alcohol, and methamphetamines, withdrawal from certain substances, as well as chronic medical conditions such as thyroid disease. Other triggers include surgery, pregnancy, and other physiologic stressors including lack of sleep or physical activity. SVTs are the most common type of arrhythmia in infants and children. They also tend to occur more often in women, particularly during pregnancy. In general, they are usually not life-threatening. However, they can still disrupt regular flow of blood and cause you to feel unwell. Now, your first step in any patient presenting with a tachycardia, whether your patient is stable or not, what is their GCS? Do they have altered LOC? What are their vitals? Are there signs of shock? Do they have evidence of acute heart failure or ischemic chest pain? There are many life-threatening tachyarrhythmias that must be identified quickly so that the patient can receive the care that they need. If your patient is stable, you can then move forward with a more detailed assessment. On history, you want to clarify the acuity of symptoms and determine when they first started and if they have occurred previously. You will want to get a sense for how long the symptoms have lasted and how often they are occurring. You will also want to assess whether they come on suddenly or more slowly and if anything has helped in the past. On history, you should focus on what the patient was doing before the symptoms started in order to try and identify a possible trigger. Ask about new medications, drug use, caffeine, and alcohol intake, recent activity, physiologic or psychological stressors. In addition, you will want to know about any other associated symptoms, including chest pain, shortness of breath, fainting, dizziness, or lightheadedness. You should ask about other risk factors such as personal or family history of cardiac diseases, arrhythmias, or thyroid disease. As always, you should also collect a detailed list of the patient's past medical history, medication list, allergies, and social history. On physical exam, you should first collect an up-to-date set of vitals. You can then inspect the chest wall and perform a full precordial and respiratory examination. On auscultation, you will want to assess for any extra heart sounds or murmurs, and also get a better sense for the rhythm. Is it regular or is it irregular? Is it fast or greater than 100 beats per minute or slow, less than 60 beats per minute? A classic presentation of supraventricular tachycardia will be a fast and regular rhythm, 
You should also do a thyroid exam and palpate for any tenderness, enlargement, or nodules on the gland, as hyperthyroidism can precipitate SVT. On to our workup. You will want to order a troponin and CK to help rule out myocardial injury. In addition, you want a CBC to check for signs of bleeding or infection as possible triggers. You will also want to order creatinine and a routine and extended electrolyte panel to assess kidney function, along with TSH to screen for thyroid disease. You should order a lactate level if there are any concerns for hemodynamic instability. An ECG should be obtained quickly to help make the diagnosis, especially if the patient is having ongoing symptoms. In the emergency department setting, the patient should also be put on telemetry so that the heart rhythm can be continuously monitored. In outpatient settings, where a patient presents stable and with no current symptoms, a Holter monitor can be arranged to record your patient's heart rhythm over longer periods of time, typically 24 to 48 hours. While wearing the Holter monitor, a patient can also track events when they feel symptoms in order to see if these correlate with any rhythm changes. A transthoracic echocardiogram, or TTE, should also be done to assess the function of the heart and any structural abnormalities, ideally once rate control is achieved. If after all of these investigations, no abnormal rhythm has been identified, alternative testing can be arranged to try and precipitate the rhythm. This may include a stress test where a patient is asked to exercise on a treadmill while their heart rhythm is monitored or an implanted loop recorder that can be placed under the skin and monitor the heart rhythm for two years or longer. In situations where SVT is strongly suspected but not captured on ECG, you can consider an invasive electrophysiology study, which involves passing an electrode from the blood vessels in the groin to the heart to measure the electrical signals and stimulate the heart to ultimately look for abnormal rhythm conduction. Let's talk about treatment. Patient with SVT-associated hemodynamic compromise who present with hypotension or severe symptoms due to tachycardia, including angina, heart failure, or mental status changes, require rapid termination of the arrhythmia. In these cases, you should use electricity to perform a synchronized cardioversion. In patients with intravenous access, an initial attempt at termination with adenosine rather than cardioversion can be considered so long as it does not delay cardioversion. If adenosine cannot be administered or it is ineffective, patients must undergo immediate synchronized cardioversion. In patients who are hemodynamically stable, bagel maneuvers are recommended as an initial attempt to help with cardioversion. These maneuvers affect the nervous system that controls your heart rate, often causing your heart rate to slow down, which can thus help terminate the arrhythmia. These maneuvers include holding your breath and straining, putting your face in ice water, as well as carotid sinus massage. Now, before trying a carotid sinus massage, be sure to auscultate the carotids to ensure there is no carotid brewery. A carotid brewery may indicate atherosclerotic disease in the carotids, in which case the maneuver could precipitate an embolic stroke. The success rates of these vagal maneuvers alone is documented at 5-20%. to 20%. If vagal maneuvers are ineffective, the next option for patients who still remain in SVT is intravenous adenosine. Adenosine briefly stops all conduction through the AV node, which causes patients to feel a sense of doom, but
that can ultimately help terminate the arrhythmia. If adenosine isn't effective, other intravenous pharmacologic treatments can be attempted, including diltiazem, an IV non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker. If the arrhythmia persists, intravenous procainamide and beta blockers approved for intravenous administration, such as metoprolol, are other therapeutic options. In all cases, IV medications should be pushed gradually over a specific time frame, and patients should be monitored for hypotension as well as mental status changes. Contingency measures should be in place should these side effects occur. In the long run, if the supraventricular tachycardia is severe enough and persistent, a catheter ablation procedure may be considered. In this procedure, a cardiologist will thread a catheter through the patient's blood vessels into their heart. The electrical signals are then measured and the heart can be stimulated to work out where the abnormal conducting tissue is located. If an abnormal pathway causing SVT is found, electrodes at the catheter tips can use heat, extreme cold, or radiofrequency energy to ablate the small area of abnormal heart tissue and create an electrical block through the pathway that's causing the arrhythmia. Time for a Medicine Minute. Did you know the REVERT trial tested a modified Valsalva maneuver to convert supraventricular tachycardias? The maneuver had patients start in a semi-recumbent position and produce 40 millimeters of mercury of pressure for 15 seconds, and then be moved to a supine position with a passive leg raise immediately after the Valsalva strain. They found that in patients with cardiovascularly stable SVT, the modified Valsalva maneuver converted patients to normal sinus rhythm at one minute, 43% of the time, compared to 17% with standard Valsalva alone. It is a simple procedure with zero cost that was well tolerated and had zero adverse effects. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Too Fast, Too Furious, An Approach to SVT. This episode was written by Dr. Chris Olasowski, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Sean Balmain, cardiologist, and Dr. Pete Wu, general internist. This episode was recorded by Allison Lai. Sound editing by Nafis Hossein. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is executively produced by Allison Lai, Zara Morali, and Leah Karyonopoulos. Theme song by Lakshman Vizantha Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.